Welcome to the Powercast, baby. This is Powercast being recorded on April 12th. Um, it's absolutely amazing to have with us today Andy Gross, a bioinformatics guru, a good friend of mine, a dynamite guy, tall, based in Cincinnati currently. Welcome to the show, buddy. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's been a pleasure. How are you, uh, you know, it's pandemic time. Maybe we just address that. What's the pandemic situation where you're at? Do you feel pretty safe? Do you, uh, you know, are you, are you getting everything you need? Do you have enough toilet paper? We got, we got plenty of toilet paper. I'm coming over. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Cincinnati didn't get hit that bad and or isn't currently hit that bad. And, uh, we also no overload of the healthcare system. No overload of the healthcare system. Uh, we also like things were a little behind here. Like people weren't freaking out early, so I freaked out sufficiently early that I went to the grocery store and got a bunch of toilet paper and stuff and cans yeah. and all that stuff ahead of the curve. Didn't buy. Clorox wipes. I don't know why I didn't do that. Man, that's that's hard to come by yeah. right now. Uh, but but yeah, but I don't know. Out here, you can get. I got toilet paper last week. Do you think we're gonna come back stronger than ever? Like we're gonna recover? Or do you think this is gonna be a big hit to the economy? Like how do you? What's your thought on how we uh, our exit path here? Our our off ramp. I, I mean, testing, know. tracing, everything. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm not an expert. I think Obviously. it seems like things got shut down sufficiently early in most of the country that hopefully things, I mean, but it's going to take a while to get back because there's, yeah. But how knows. do you get back to normal? That's what I don't understand. I don't know. It's going to be a lot more remote, a lot more, I don't know. A lot more know. virtual yes, stuff. Yes, a lot more virtual stuff. Like How many knows? virtual happy hours have you had so far? A handful. That's like what I'm I talking did. about. Right? For, with work or just friends? Mostly friends. It's like... Just missing people. Yeah, uh, it was cool. Like my college friends did one. And like a lot of those people I hadn't seen in a while. And then like a lot of my high school friends did one. I had a poker game yesterday. How do you do that? That seems hard. Through an app. Oh, yeah. It's just like, yeah. Was it fun? Yeah. What app is it? I don't know. It was just like a rant. It was like a weird app. So you did the video chat over Zoom or whatever. Yeah. I I didn't even video chat because I was like watching something, but. You were just playing poker with everybody? Yeah, just playing poker. Yeah. There's a lot more of that going around. We did our Seder. How was that? I did a virtual Seder as well. I'll tell you about mine if you tell me about yours. It was fun. It's it's a little chaotic. But uh Yeah, not too bad. It's it, it's pretty close to the real thing. Uh didn't think about the whole food situation. What is it? Like, did you have the stuff? Uh what do you mean? What do you, yeah. Well, you do the Seder and then you're supposed to eat, but I didn't realize that like, oh wait, we have to like cook everything before the Seder. Right. You, you know have to I be mean? ready. You have to be ready for it and have it all 
got to have your all your stuff laid out. You got to have your wine. You got to have it all. You know. There's no yeah because so who led it? Did you guys go around? Uh, we did. I did one through my brother-in-law's family. So someone over there led it, and then like. Did you have parents, a? Did everybody look at the same uh, book, Haggadah? Yeah, they sent out the book ahead of time. Oh, that's nice. PDF. That's smart. Yeah, they were a little prepared. Like they, 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 some, they prepared for it. They yeah. put some effort in. See, my my sister and my family had it, and it was it was just a miracle to get my my parents, my brother, my brother in law's parents. We did Facebook Messenger, and it was a miracle to get them on the camera. So I think that was satisfying enough for everybody. And then my sister just kind of, my brother just kind of like sped through it, but no one else had the same book that they had. Yeah. It's extremely frustrating. Because you couldn't even follow along. Mm-hmm. I think I hear Matri a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I think she's on the phone with somebody else in the background. That, no, that's fine. We got that. We got that technology. Um, let's, so, hey, welcome to the show. Thank you for telling us about the pandemic experience. Let's talk a little bit about you. So you're my, do you have a middle name? Michael. Andrew Michael Gross. Um, I, I asked people that, you know, are, you, are we friends or not? I would say we're pretty good friends. Yeah, we're pretty good friends. And so people can have that as a background. Tell us about yourself. So you are from St. Louis. You went to UT Austin studying biomedical engineering. Yeah. And then you ended up getting a PhD in, out of UCSD. What did you study there? I did bioinformatics. What's that? So mean? It's, it's kind of like data science and genetics and in kind of the genetics and biology background. I'm getting very excited because I think that's some of the knowledge I want to bring to the table right now. That's, that's, that's key. How yeah. did you get into it? Just randomly? Yeah, sort of. I mean, I, I, I started... I, I liked doing the programming and the kind of math computer science side of things in undergrad. And so I started doing more of those kind of like data science type statistics type of classes. Uh, and, you know, I was like at, at UT, I was the first person to get this like scientific computing certificate. So this was like early on. This is a lot. That's impressive. This was like early on in those days where it wasn't as like it started getting big towards the end of like my undergrad, right? Why did you but, find the my medical stuff and in, in interesting in the first place? Like you got in there. That's just kind of what I ended up doing out of undergrad because I liked the chemistry and the physics and that kind of thing. Gotcha. Uh, it wasn't a major you chose right in the beginning. It evolved into that. By no, taking that's what I. That's what I started out with. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, so, but I ended up liking the statistics and that kind of thing. And so I started doing that and kind of worked in a lab that did that and then ended up doing that for my PhD, basically. So it's kind of where I, where I ended up, uh, falling, but, you know, not super well informed. It's just kind of where I fell. I mean, I think that's a lot of life. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen, I think it's called Next Train. Um, they're mm-hmm. looking at the you know, the new novel COVID virus, coronavirus, and they're, they're able to genetically trace how it moved around the world. Yeah. Can you explain how that works? Yeah, sure. I mean, that's not exactly like my like expertise, but... Sure, but I mean, yeah. you must understand the basics yeah. about it. 
So the basics, I mean, people have been doing this with things like HIV forever. Um, these viruses, they're really small. Okay. Uh, small meaning like their genetic code is... Their genetic code is, yeah, it's, it's much, much smaller than like your genetic code, right? Well, what's uh, on the scale of like a tenth of ours or a hundred of ours? Yeah, so if you're looking at the human genome, it's about three billion letters in length, right? Um, so there's lots of stuff going on, you know, ten, you know, twenty thousand different genes doing different things, you know, roughly. Um, and these viral genomes are really small. How so? So the this coronavirus is, I think, one thing I'm looking at here says thirty thousand bases. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, you're talking about you know much much smaller. Let's see. But, so thirty thousand times ten times a hundred times a thousand, like a hundred thousand x less. Yeah, yeah. they're they're really compact, and, and these viruses don't do they don't do much other than replicate essentially. Okay. They have a handful of things um, that they can do, but they're not a self-contained unit. You know, they're not so interesting. They're they're really small. And so, but those 30,000 bases, they change. And, you know, part of what makes viruses so good at what they do is they're constantly evolving. Uh, and so over time, they change even over the course of this outbreak. There's multiple different strains uh, where you have these different changes. How does that change happen? Is it just random mutations? Yeah, it's, it's random mutations. So, you know, it's the same thing as evolution, right? Over time people accumulate random mutations, some cause disease, some, some of those things, if you have a kid and they, they get a chain, you know, a mutation, they might not be able to like go through the pregnancy, right? Like a lot of those aren't viable. Others change sort of benign traits like your eye color or your hair color, things, you know, r relatively minor things. Others have positive changes so you might have a mutation that causes you to you know be taller yeah. or like positive traits right and that's how things evolve and these viruses just happen on a much larger scale and so somewhere you know most of these changes aren't actually affecting what the virus actually does mm -hmm. uh, they're just there for the ride but it happens fast enough and these viruses that you're able to sort of trace it through, you know, this strain came from China, it went to Seattle, it spread throughout the West Coast. Another one might have gone through Italy and then came over to New York and then spread through this population. And a lot of times- so, they, they, so that means they have to know, like they basically sequence the, the virus across yeah. everywhere and across samples and then be able to tell that because there's mutations happening um, they can tell exactly which one, but like since mutations are happening all the time, I guess they can trace as things actually move around, like as more mutations happen to it. Yeah. So think of it like a, a human and like an ape share a lot of mutations because we came from the same ancestor. Yeah. Uh, but we also share some mutations with a dog, right? But everything we share with a, with a dog, we also share with an ape. Right because we share there's a common ancestor so it forks off right i see so 
So at some point, you know, there was some mammal and that had a set of you know, genetics and it forked off to, you know, no, yeah. no, I get it. Yeah, yeah. so you can trace it to the viruses as well. It's even, you're saying and, it's easier because yeah. there's it's it's not it's simple, not a yeah. large, it's not a yeah. long sequence compared yeah. to some other stuff. Is human genome the longest genome that we know? Oh no, the a lot of these crops are like way way crops bigger. like vegetables. Yeah, they can be hundreds thousand like they're huge. Yeah, so a lot of these, a lot of these other you know. It, a lot of I see. So waste, now I, now waste I have a better things. idea of how it's it's being done. Yeah. So so it it forks off, spreads spreads around. You can sequence to sort of reconstruct that that history. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's how you can tell like if if there's a case in San Diego. You know, early on, you kind of want to know: is that coming from China? Is it coming from Italy? Is it coming from another cluster in the U.S.? You know where you think, and so that that helps sort of trace the evolution of it. Uh, when they talk about community spread, uh -huh. what that means is if there's community spread in San Diego, that means there's multiple people that have different strains of it. It's much worse. Like in the South, they knew it was going to get bad in Florida because when they sequenced, they saw multiple different strains of it. Which, means which just separate. means there's, what does that mean? This means there's a lot of reproduction of virus. No, well, it means no. there's separate introduction events, right? Oh, I so, see. So if you have one person who comes and seeds a neighborhood, right, and it spreads throughout that neighborhood, it can be, a, it's a little bit easier to control. Mm. If you have 10 cases and they're all coming from the same neighborhood, that's a smaller subset of the population that's exposed to it. If you have 10 people in the hospital, they all have different strains. It means they came from different, you know, primary events. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And so, so it's a lot, you know, there's going to be a lot more people affected with it, right? Hmm. But yeah, people, you know, I know people have been doing this with HIV and a lot of these other viruses forever. Uh, it's a whole science of it, right? I see. So, so they kind of had that framework already in place. That's how they were able to do it so quickly, probably. Yeah, most of the people working on this are either HIV and flu. Uh, yeah. So the, the people working on this are similar to the people who work on the flu virus. And they're the people that predict what is the flu strains that are going to happen next year mm -hmm. to develop, to develop the, the flu vaccines, right? So they know, you know, they have a good idea of what's going to hit next year based on what's floating around the year before. Uh, Interesting. Because, you know, vaccines work, you know, to an extent. And then what happens is these viruses can evolve around the vaccine often. Uh, and so there's a new strain that's resistant to last year's vaccine. And they see that and they put that in next year's vaccine, right? So that's kind of how those things can work. A lot I see. Times. I see. I see. Yeah. So your specialty is rare genetic diseases and rare is like a weird term that you mm -hmm. can define for me. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, so I wouldn't call that my specialty. That's kind of what I work on the last few years is, uh, you know, a lot of these genetic diseases, 
people are born with different types of variation. You know, most of that doesn't have adverse effects. You know, lots of people, people are different. It's because of variation and their genes and their genome. Uh, every once in a while, those cause sort of genetic disorders. Uh, things, you know, lots of diseases, a lot of them have strange Do we know names. how everything works or is it just like we just find out that, okay, this is a mutation. The mutation is correlated with something bad happening, but we don't necessarily understand like why this mutation does what it does. Yeah, so like historically, uh, people used to be able to identify these things just by looking at facial features, just behaviors, things like that. So okay. a lot of these genetic diseases are very specific. Uh, you're looking at one single gene. Uh, if that gene gets af- affected, knocked out, it's not functional, um, people manifest that in, in very specific ways. So trained geneticists used to just look at people and say, okay, this looks like this this mm-hmm. type of disease. Uh, and so, and they would, you know, sort of do... They would discover what's a trained genes. geneticist like. What when is this happening? This is like the 1900s. This is uh, recent. Yeah, through the last I don't know 50 years. I, I'm not fully. Yeah. yeah okay. okay. I'm not well, this fully is like modern science, but before we've done actual genetic coding. Yeah. Before. Yeah. And a lot of these genes were discovered because of you know. You had a cohort a group of people of, with a the group same. of people, yeah, and then they find the gene, right? And so now that you can just sequence people's genomes, you can find it. You can take shortcuts and you can look, go straight to the source, mm-hmm. and see the changes that cause those, and you sort of work the other way. But it it works both ways. So on the flip side, there's sort of machine learning type of software mm-hmm. where literally people upload a picture. Mm-hmm of a kid that has a you know unknown genetic disease and and they are getting better at matching them to the affected genes wow that that they suspect right uh because of you know and it does the same thing that these old school you know geneticists and would would be able to do it by eye just by recognizing those patterns but yeah now they're starting to do that with even things like machine learning and that kind of thing. But also now you can just sequence all the genes and, you know, look for those, those different types of changes that could cause those diseases. Have you been sequenced? No. In the past, like whatever you've been involved in bioinformatics, I'm sure you've seen the field really change, right? Like you have all this technology coming out, more people training it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know it's always hard to predict what's going to happen in the future, but like, what, what do you, th- like, what do you, th- what do you think can happen in the next 10, 20, 30, I mean, a hundred years, are we going to be able to unlock things we haven't unlocked before? Like has the pace of progress slowed down? Is it accelerating? Is it the same? Like what, what do you, th- you know, I've always been really bullish on genetics. Like, Oh my God, it's our code. Imagine uh-huh. we can unlock everything, make us superhuman, right? Make me live forever. I mean, all that, sci-fi dream stuff and i'm sure that's probably not really reality but like what do you think can happen what do you see the future how do you see it evolving specifically when it comes to all this genetic stuff like i mean crispr obviously is like it's just in its nascency 
but that's the one thing that's happened recently. Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of advances that are getting made. Uh, we're starting to get really good at, you know, reading people's genomes and understanding those changes that, that cause disease. Uh, you know, what we're really good at are these rare diseases because those affect single, they're very, very specific, right? Right. Um, and when you say rare, like what is it, like one in a thousand, one in 10,000? Yeah, probably like one in 10,000 is a good, uh, you know. Got it. A lot, and, and the reason why they're rare is most of these diseases uh, are sufficiently, you know, they're, they're sufficiently like have a big enough impact on people's health and their, you know, outcomes that they don't live old enough to, to get to reproductive age, right? Yeah, no, so, I mean, so most of these, most of these are not passed on. They're not inherited. Uh, Interesting. So like, you know, like, and then there's the things on the borderline, like Huntington's disease, where that hits people when they're like 40. And what's that? Or, I'm not familiar with it. It's a genetic oh, disorder? Yeah, it's a genetic disorder that, you know, it's just a debilitating genetic disorder. But, you know, some things happen sort of after that age, but most things are happening before. But you don't know. Yeah. And so most of these diseases, you know, when you get to the more common diseases, like, you know, inher- you know, inherited heart disease or, you know, familial like diabetes or something like that, those are more complicated. And right. you're not talking about like single changes, right? You're right. talking about lots of things that add up right. into, into these things. And that's how most, most things work. So, you know, we're, we're really good at those rare things. Uh, those rare diseases that affect, you know, one or, you know, one single gene. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, uh, Because all you're doing is just just trying to find one or two changes that that cause that that type of thing. Uh, You know, things like, I think the best way to describe it is if you look at something like cancer. Uh Uh, So you have cancer that is familial, like the, the BRCA genes, that kind of thing, right? Uh, <laughs> Did you get a Zoom pop-up yeah, that says thanks? Zoom pop. We love Zoom, yeah, because I'm not paying for it. It's 40 minutes, you know. That's cool. Thank you, yeah. Zoom. Zoom, Zoom to the boom, boom, room with the Zoom, Zoom, AD. And so we're not – so is it possible for us to figure out how these complex things work where there's a lot of things interacting, like diabetes, inherited? Like, Do you think it's possible, first of all? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, it, do you think it's gonna happen in your lifetime? So they're they're starting to make progress with it. It's not so. Now there's a whole there's a whole field emerging of companies. You know, your direct to consumer type of genetics or or you know things sure. that like twenty three and me. And so they have a lot of data, and they also have a lot of information on, you know people who have diabetes or people who have um, something like Crohn's disease or, you know, like a lot of these more common, less severe types of diseases, right? Or, you know, not even Uh, diseases, but just, you know. You're such a cutie. Go ahead. Yeah. So they can now build complicated, you know, machine learning type of models that go and take, you know, a, a lot of information on your genetics 
and feed that into a model and get a, a prediction on how likely you are to have heart disease or something like that. Uh, and those models aren't perfect. But how do you get them better? Just more data? Uh, more data. It's a, these diseases are complicated, right? So, yeah. you know, every, lots of people know if they have a family history of diabetes or heart disease or something like that, right? Like a lot of those things are common knowledge and, and these tools are getting to the point where they're, they're nearly as good as, you know, I know that I have a family history of heart disease, right? And so it's likely, you know, parts of your genetics are more making more susceptible to that. But there's other things like how you diet and exercise and all those things, right? So you're never going to be perfect totally. in predicting that, right? Uh, but they're getting better at sort of stratifying like who's more likely to get it, who's less likely, you know, to the point where, you know, someone who scores really high on that might be three or four times more likely to get heart disease, right? So not perfect, but, but uh, you know, about as good as something like a, a is this, good family Is this like personalized medicine? Is this like kind of the stuff like you're gonna, the idea being you can sequence me and you can tell me I'm I'm high, you know, I'm much higher, high risk. So I have to really, I, I, I guess I don't know what I'm going to do with that information. What am I going to do with the information that I'm likely to have diabetes? Yeah. Well, that's the problem right now is, is those are things that are, you know, limited utility right now. If you're likely to have diabetes, you might want to exercise more, right? Or, or, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. or, or track, track things a little bit more yeah, eat less know. carbs go, go to the doctor a little more you you watch out for it right yeah uh and, and things you know what about re-engineering of, my genetic code so that i no longer get diabetes is that complete science fiction at the moment yeah i mean like the re-engineering your genetic code probably won't happen in the next thousand years is it, um, is it theoretically even be able to happen like inside like an adult or is it only like a child thing right now? Uh, yeah. I mean, in an adult, there's not much you could do to change your genetics. Right. Uh, because you have lots of, you're not changing it once, you're changing it however many you know, cells. Every cell in your body needs yeah. to be changed somehow. Mm -hmm. And we don't have the technology to do that. No, you can't do that, right. Uh, and so, you know, things like changing things in an embryo right. know, or that's, you know, closer. Uh, right. But I, I just like the science fiction aspects of it. It sounds yeah. like, you know, we got a ways to go here, but, you know, still possible. Where, yeah. where do you stand on AI? Do you think AI... It, like AGI, you know, kind of Skynet types. Is that is that also complete science fiction? Like, do you think we made, I mean, we have, you know, NLP, deep learning networks. We've made some progress, obviously. This, I mean, before the crisis, the pandemic, before calling this the age of AI, and mm -hmm. it felt like it was making some progress. It depends on what you're doing, right? Uh, I think... You know, machine learning is a useful tool. Yeah, uh, it's a tool. It's not so. So this whole idea of like 
machine learning that solves problems for you without understanding what the problem is. Not that, that we're very much sense. We're very hard. Like, in the end of the day, if you want to replace somebody, you have to be able to quantify what they're doing. Uh, right. it, or, you know, so machine learning, you know, natural language processing or, you know, like voice recognition is the perfect example, right? Because you have a recording, someone can transcribe that recording, and you can train the machine to learn that transcription, right? Yeah. Uh, that is a very well-defined problem. Uh, those are those things. Types of things are pretty easy, right? Uh, if you're doing advertising and you're trying to decide who to show an ad, mm-hmm. you can measure how often someone clicks on that ad, right? So that's something that the machine can optimize because you can test it, right? Right. You have a clear outcome that you're trying to achieve of getting more people to click on your ad. You can try it. And, you know, you can, you have data of, you know, previous behavior, how that affects your outcome, and you're, you're just trying to optimize that outcome, right? I get it, yeah. Yeah, these, these more nebulous things of, like, improving people's health. Well, if you want to improve someone's, if you want to improve someone's lifespan, you have to wait 50, you know, 80 right. years for them to die, and then you have to, you know, take have all really those good data throughout the whole situation. Yeah. So, like a lot of those things are, you know, just from a, you know, these things don't work in a vacuum, right? You need the data, and you need the outcomes that you can measure that you can quantify. Mm-hmm. And not everything has the best, the most quantifiable outcomes, right? Yeah, I and mean, so, most of so, life is very in, a, in yeah. the gray, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, where you can, very useful. I think a lot of... Don't treat it as a panacea. Don't, don't, yeah. don't hype it. A lot of executives say we'll solve these problems with... <laughs> machine learning. Machine learning. Uh, but the problems are very broad and nebulous. And, and, you know, there are some problems that you can solve, but you know, the most dangerous thing you can do is to bring in a machine learning team and not give them the right thing to work on. Right. Uh, so then you optimize the wrong thing, right? Of course. Uh, what, um, if people want to get into this field of data science and, well, I guess it's two questions. I'm curious about what you think if someone wants to get into the bioinformatics of it all or just general mm-hmm. data science or if you think, do you think it's, if people should go general and then go into that specific? Because you could do data science, you know, everywhere. And what mm-hmm. you're doing is in effect data science, just your domain knowledge is so specific, which, you know, obviously is important. What would yeah, you I recommend? Mean, I think a lot, of, a lot of the skill set in bioinformatics is the same as the data science skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not expert. I'm not an expert in any kind of genetic diseases or anything like that, right? But people are. I'm familiar. Yeah. I'm familiar with it, and I know how to talk to the people that are experts, right? Right. But that's the data science skill set. It's not becoming the expert. It's becoming the expert on the technical side, right? And being able to communicate. These are the. This is my toolbox. This is what I can do. Mm-hmm. 
and talk to someone who's an expert in a, in a specific field and tell them, okay, so this is what I can do. This is what you want. These five things that you just said are too broad. Like, you know, I can't, this is what I can make no, yeah. easier for you. And these are the things that like, we're going to have to do that manually. Right. right. For now. Or like, uh, so know. if I want to learn how to do that and let's say that, mm-hmm. you know, I have the prerequisites of I'm inclined, I, I, I have some background, but maybe I'm like a financial analyst that, you know, can learn Python maybe, mm-hmm. but hasn't gotten into it. Or maybe it, like how, I think this, I think this pandemic, I have friends who are interior designers mm-hmm. and I'm like, obviously they're, they're suffering right now. They can't get much work. And so I'm like, how about doing something with data? And so, and it's, it, it obviously depends on the person. Everybody's, you know, I, if I was to ask you how I get into genetic analytics with data science, me personally, you'd give me one answer. If, yeah. if, uh, if an interior designer asks you, you'll get another answer. So I'm asking from the perspective of someone that is really starting out from scratch. Like, what do you think they should do? Do you think it's important to get these degrees? Would you learn them by yourself? And and what's the basics that you should be learning? Should be learning Python? Should you be learning R? Does it not matter? Is it just just pick a course? Is it is it the practice? How do it? Yeah, I think it, a lot of it's the it? practice. Yeah, a lot of it. I mean, I think the first thing that anybody should do is, you know, not only like learn statistics, but understand how statistics you know kind of the the principles of it uh, okay which is the kind of thing that's hard to do you have to do it it. like you know the best people that are really good at learning at understanding statistics are gamblers yeah you know people who you know if you play poker you're playing you know thousands of hands over time and you understand that like this thing has a one percent chance of you know i have i'm winning here i have a one percent chance of losing and one in a hundred times that happens, right? Right. Uh, it's that intuition for, you know, things, how things happen. And so when you're dealing with data, you have lots of data, there's lots of rare events that happen and you have to, you know, have a, a good intuition for how to deal with data, how to make sure that you're, you know, staying unbiased and, and you know, being responsible with it, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's the sort of intuition of, you know, understanding how to not abuse the tools that you have to, you know, make something look the way that you want it to look. Right. I think that's the, you know, the biggest skill of a data scientist is not anything technical. And it's not really even anything like statistics, methodological. It's the sort of restraint. Yeah. Of a, you know, if I give you millions and millions of data points, you know, you can show, make it look however you want uh, using these tools that we have, right? Right. Uh, you know, I can show correlations between anything because I have lots of data and it's really just that restraint of, of you know, understanding how do I control what I'm doing and how do I make sure, how do I question everything that I'm looking at and make sure that I'm doing you know, what I'm doing is faithful to solving the problem. And it sounds hard. 
Yeah, on the data science side, you know, you've got Tableau, you've got all these like fancy tools that do most of the the legwork for you, right? Right. Uh, the hardest part is understanding the problem that you're trying to solve. You know, working with people. You know, working with whoever your customer is, or you know, who you're, whoever your collaborators are. You know, this is what we're trying to do. These are the tools that we have, and those tools could be Python, but they could be an Excel spreadsheet, right? Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and it's, you know, communicating there, establishing what it is that we can do, what it is that we're not quite, you know, we don't have the tools to solve or we don't have the data to solve. And then, you know, doing the work, which is relatively small, but then going back and saying, these are my results. Right. These are the caveats there. This is how you should interpret it. This is what you can't get out of it, right? So Did a lot you of learn this that, in school, or is this is on the job? Like I, mean, I agree totally. This is this the is what. Well, this is the skill set, right? And this is this the skill is, set. This is what you're taught as a, as a data scientist. This is the scientist portion. Th that's the scientist portion, right? That's what you're taught as a scientist, and that's what you know. Lots of people know Python that don't, you know, and and lots of people know say like TensorFlow, right? Yeah, you can throw it at a problem. If you throw it out the wrong problem, it gives you a, a solution that doesn't make any sense, right? Right. Uh, so, I'll, you know, I think in in these fads, there's always there's always these phases where people with raw technical skills mm -hmm. get really high paying jobs because they can use this toolkit that is new and very powerful. And I think TensorFlow is one of those, and you know, a lot of these data science, you know, these buzzwords. But what happens is that gets flooded, and you know, that's a that's a skill set that's no longer in demand. And then at the end of the day, if that's all you can do, that's right. not very useful, right? Right. Uh, a good example of that is like Hadoop. Do you remember Hadoop? <laughs> it was so hot. Yeah. Now it's like, is it even being used? I guess I'm sure it is by some. There's still people that do that stuff, right? But it, right it mostly happens under the hood right and so you can't go to a boot camp and learn hadoop and then get a you know six-figure job yeah. a high-paying job right uh you have to be deeply connected to the you know to the theory of it and the internals and all that stuff to, to really make a contribution right because the the sort of boot camp type of things became automated right interesting so, so a lot of it is like the soft skills, right? The tools will change, but understanding the overlap of, you know, this is this tool set that I can use, and this is how I use it to achieve like whatever goal I'm trying to do, right? Right. Interesting. No, I mean, yeah. it totally makes sense. I mean, that's how I approach when I build, you know, and I don't do data science or machine learning when I do our analytics and trending dashboards that it's mm -hmm. all about engaging with the customer to to think in that okay what is our hypothesis what are we trying to you know let's frame the mm -hmm. problem right that's the scientific method which i that's how and I, and I get and it's not an approach that's always used by everybody and yeah. i think it's uh it, it is that approach that can so if you're starting out i think my suggestion is if you currently have a job and you have a job that's not in the data side, but you want to go into the data, 
I would say look for opportunities where you could just pick it up and do a little something on the side for your job. Let's say you're a marketing guy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Get your Excel, you know, make some dashboards for your own use. Like whatever the data stuff you need, become the liaison to the engineering team to talk to them about the dashboards you want. Like use, try to move in, in, in the company into something and everybody. And if you make that known, Oh, I'm interested and I can do this. If you, because you have that business knowledge, you will gain that data knowledge. Yeah. Um, and that, that's how I've seen people move into it a lot of times. Right. Yeah. You're, you're an expert in this thing. And, and a lot of times, you know, software and engineering, right. What they really need is someone who understands, you know, if you're trying to do something more efficiently or faster or, you know, trying to build an interface around something, right. Having that person that did it the slow way before, right. That understands, okay, these are the things that I, I need and that kind of thing. That's very useful. And on the flip side, they can learn, okay, so these are like the software, you know, like these are the things that software can do or machine learning can do Yeah. versus the things that it can't, right? And so understanding that is the most important part, right? Yeah. And then, you know, in most cases, a lot of times these models are really simple. And so a lot of people can code up very simple models or even use you know, you know, point and click type of tools or Excel or, you know, like a lot of those things are relatively straightforward, right? Right. Uh, It's understanding what the problem is and moving into there. And so like for someone not in data science, I'd always recommend learn how to use the really simple tools to do very simple things and then use your other skills to, to really, you know, your other skills are the differentiating factor, right? So, if you've never done this before, you're not going to be working at Google optimizing <laughs> how many people click through an ad, right? Right. That gets really like, that gets super technical Right. of like, you know, they're bringing in all those different data sources and they're doing, you know, like that's where squeezing out a, you know, fraction of a percent makes a big difference. Right. Right. You know, if you can, if you can sell, if you can boost your sneaker sales from, you know, 1% conversion rate to 1.1% conversion conversion rate, that's like millions of dollars, right? Exactly. Uh, but those, that's where things get super technical. Uh, but there's a lot of other applications where you're doing something that there's no solution for, and you can bring in the sort of data science skill set to, to, you know, partially solve that or do something, you know, save someone a lot of time or, you know, make something work a little bit better. Yeah. And those are the things where the, the black box underneath the hood of what's going on doesn't matter as much, right? Because what really matters is trying to define what the problem is you're trying to do and then like using that to, to I think solve that's great. Yeah. I think that's great advice. Yeah, interesting. Have you ever met anybody who like now going specifically into that subject area of, is it uh, is it called like bioinformatics or is it called genetic data science? What, what what's like the umbrella? Is it just bioinformatics? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a it's a hush. It's a it's a smear. 
It's a smear. But I'm basically interested in people that do, you know, data science on genetic code. Have you ever met anyone that doesn't have like a PhD in, you know, like you? Has oh, yeah, anybody been self-taught? Yeah, there's plenty of people. I oh, mean, really? People learn on like on their own online and... People learn on their own. Uh, you know, they come people, from other disciplines, I guess. People, people come, you know, maybe a software developer and they get more involved in the data science side of things. And right? they learn the biology part. Yeah, people learn the biology. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on what you're working on, right? So some people need a smaller subset of the biology. Uh, other people need a broader. It just depends on what depends the problem is. Specific yeah. things. Okay, uh, that's cool. So there's hope for me and everybody else out there. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's, a there's, big... always, there's always room for, for more stuff. And, and there's, and you know, these things are like team efforts, right? So a lot of the, on the data science side, a, a large portion of the like biology is not even understanding how things work, but understanding the language of how to talk to the subject matter experts of, Absolutely. you know, they say this, you need to translate that into what is the software I need to build to do that? Or what is the model, you know, or there, here's this data. You need to understand like, what are the important parts of this data? What makes sense, you know, in a biological setting, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's the same thing you just talked about only now in the context of biology. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, we met at UCSD with good buddies. We've, we've shared matzo ball soup together. I mean, how, how much more close do you want to be, you know? And um, you recently moved out to Cincinnati and we'll miss you here. Uh, how Cincinnati compared to San Diego? Would you ever come back? It's good. I mean, we, we got a lot of space. <laughs> for a le- we were less here. money. We were here for two and a half months and then the coronavirus hit. Yeah. So did you get a taste for the city? Did you go out anywhere? Like, what'd you see? I was in San Diego twice during that time. So (laughs) nice. Yeah. The city is nice. It's small, but, uh, we're like downtown, so you can walk everywhere. Uh, it's a real city, Uh, you know, it's not big, but it's, it feels very urban, you know, is it on the river? Is there any waterfront? Yeah. Waterfront is on the, few blocks down the street so nice it's not the beach but it uh it's nature you can you go nature, running yeah. on the on the river yeah you can go yeah nowadays i've stayed away from there because it's a little too crowded but uh but Do yeah you wear a mask when you go out have you guys had that edict uh i don't know where it's at now i i wore one to go to the grocery store the other day that's a good idea but uh it's not very dense over what here. kind of store do you shop in Whole Foods, high end. No, we got a Kroger. We have a Kroger a block away. Oh, love a good Kroger. It's brand, brand new. Uh, it's the Urban Kroger, so it's like. Isn't Kroger based in Cincinnati? Yeah. So. The, so this is head, like a high end Kroger experience. Yeah, it, it's it's nice. It's uh, the Kroger headquarters is three blocks away from our apartment. And they need data they, scientists. And then they have their sort of like flagship store. You know, it's it's not huge, but it's really nice. Right good quality there. products inside. Oh yeah, because it's, it's a it's a city grocery store, so it's it's 
pretty small, but like the produce is amazing because it's, it's constantly turned over, you know? Awesome. And like, yeah, it's good. They have a, like a food court on the second floor. So they have like six or seven restaurants up there. Never. It's affiliate. Is the food court affiliated with the Kroger? Just inside the building? Yeah, it's like in the, yeah, it's like a, I think. That's weird, but that's cool. I don't know if anybody else does that. Yeah. But have you gone to any like jazz bars, comedy clubs, anything like that over there? Uh, we've been around. There's good restaurants. Yeah, there's a lot of good restaurants. There's a there's a place. There's a lot of places that have like live music. So I've been to some of that, but yeah, a lot of good food. It's a it's small though, so you know the city is walking distance you know you can walk from one side of the city have you not been driving much at all no not not a ton how I mean, far is nature there's probably some national parks nearby no yeah there's the riverfront and then there's that like the the nice like overnight camping type of parks are a little a, bit out there but a couple hours a couple hours there's some stuff we haven't been in that yeah it's amazing wow yeah not too bad so you're you're not you're you're settling in there for a little while at least. Yeah, we're we're in here for a little bit. We'll we'll see how it goes, but you know, we we've, we've got our works our workstations and uh, everything's working fine. So, what even what have you been making for food? Uh, <laughs> I, I found the dog coming in. You're just making food, just like roasted veggies. A lot of roasted veggies. We've been getting uh, a lot of like frozen veggie burger type of stuff. Nice, yeah. Uh, Easy peasy. Yeah. Do you have an opinion on like uh, saving a lot of money, retiring early, fire, uh, fixed income, retire early? What is it called? Something like that. You know, mini money, Mister Money Mustache. Recently, Mm -hmm. I've had like this epiphany. I'm that's like, what okay, you're doing. <laughs> I, that's what I need to do here. Like I, yeah. I keep you know I have this lottery ticket mentality that's been really hard for me to break since since I was a kid. I guess you know I'm like oh I want to make a startup. I want to make you know ten million dollars retire. That I'll I'll be happy then. But now I'm realizing, you know I think I just need to get a job that I like that can make me a bunch of money and save it all and then retire. Yeah, I mean that's and where come I'm back at. and do whatever I want to do. Like what's do you have a conscious approach to it? Because I know you're an optimizer. You're always thinking of different angles and trying to make best decisions. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, I know what you're talking about, and I know people doing that. And I kind of see not, you doing I'm that. Not, I mean, you're not. Uh, maybe you don't follow that as a school, yeah. but that's kind of your principles, no? Yeah, and I'm not the kind of person I, I'll go crazy if I retired like when I was 40. Uh, right. I wouldn't have it. I, I I'd have to find something to do. So that's not where. I'm, but I I am more on the Having financial avoid, independence would be nice. Avoid though. lifestyle creep, keep you know, keep things, keep expenses low, that kind of thing. And uh, grad school for the early, for the you know, early to mid twenties helps a lot with that because oh yeah, you're not making you're used to a low standard of life, right? <laughs> <laughs> you uh, just kind of carry that on. Yeah, and yeah, you know, I, I definitely uh, try and keep things lean as much as possible what about managing the money like i think that's something i've also not i'm trying to get much better at is you know yes saving it but then once you have it 
you have to put it to work. If you just mm-hmm. sit, make it sit there in cash, I mean, that's not that's not a good strategy, right? Oh yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, I'm all about just aggressively investing because. What does I'm it mean to be aggressively risk. investing? Putting a lot, putting all the market, all their savings into the stock market. Yeah, pretty much. Instead yeah, of because I'm in cash. a low risk, I'm in a low risk situation, right? You have, if you got a job and you've got savings, you can afford for what happened the last couple of months, right? Right. Uh, uh, it hurts. Yeah, <laughs> don't better not look at the numbers. <laughs> yeah. But it's not going to change your quality of life or anything like that. But that's my thing. Is your, yeah. you know, and if it's secret, you don't have to tell us. But like, are you a guy who picks stocks? Are you like an ETF? No, I'm not, guy? I'm not a stock picker. So what, what's your just, strategy? Yeah, I just dump it all in index funds and let it go. And what does that mean? Like just an S&P 500 or whatever? Yeah. Or, yeah. or do you have any index funds? Like it, no, just, S&P, just, just the, the, stock most boring, the most boring thing you can possibly think of, right? And just over time, that's going to be the nest egg. Because I don't know what else you could do, really. I don't know what else you could put your money to work. I don't. I I guess I I don't like. uh, I don't like gambling with that chunk of my money. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I was doing some futures trading recently because I was bored, and uh, that's that's straight up gambling. Like just a straight up. If you're bored, you want to gamble, you can just trade the E mini. S&P 500 futures. Uh, I took me a while to get that working on my thinkorswim, and you know, knock on wood, I I did it, and I wound up being like in a couple hundred dollars up, and I stopped because I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, and if I'm not careful, I will lose a ton of money, and I'm like, yeah. I'm good on gambling right now. I think yeah, that's probably too. the better approach. Yeah, I mean, some people like it, 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 it but it well, is get, I mean, it's, it's a way yeah. to make money. Leverage is in there, and like. Mm-hmm. I've always been a fan of value investing and um, that's, you know. Yeah, I'm not against that. I just don't like spending my mental time. energy doing the research there, right? It's painful. Yeah, it's harsh. You have to be into it, I guess. I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm really into it. We'll see. So then you're basically, okay, invest in the stock market and then keep working, but then you could have still more flexibility. Yeah, and keep working and, and like part of Part of it isn't even like this whole idea of like financial independence is one thing, but it's also like avoiding the lifestyle creep of having to force so yourself. Talk more to, about that. What does it mean to have lifestyle creep? It you know it means having to have the nice house and the vacations and all that kind of stuff, right? The stuff that's uh, expensive because yeah. oh, I can afford it now. Yeah, you you spend what you've got, right? So so if you you know, if you were to do a trip to, you know, you know, if you were to do a trip to the California Alps. when you make 50K, <laughs> yeah. now that you make 100K, it's like, well, I make twice as much, so I should be spending twice as much. Yeah, let me get a really um, nice hotel room. Yeah. And, I, and it's like, well, I was perfectly fine, you know, traveling the way I did during grad school or... or living in places like that right so why you know just because i can afford more doesn't mean you have to right right uh and so that's that's part of it of uh and and, you know the nice thing about that is then you know when you're constantly upping your lifestyle 
of every time, you know, every year you go on a vacation and the next one's nicer than the last one, right? Yeah. Uh, Sandals, baby. There's this, there's this external pressure of like, okay, so I, I guess I now need to find a job that pays more money. Or so I, I can to, get, it, get it better, more vacation, right? Yeah. And it's like, it's not necessary, right? No. A lot of it, I think, is just showing off to, you know, to kind of uh-huh. make your ego feel better. That doesn't work anyway. What do you spend money on that really, I think, brings you the most joy? Food. I mean, for me, that's, that's the big all, one. I'm not gonna lie. That's all it is. You just like getting the tastiest food. Is you're willing to pay money for that? I'm willing to pay money for food. Yeah, uh, you went to I, vacation, you know, last. I forgot when you guys went last summer mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Did you go to a Michelin star restaurant? Oh yeah, we, we yeah we went to one restaurant that was like an obscenely expensive thing. It, it was in Chiang Mai. It was in Thailand? Uh, it was Bangkok. in Thailand. It was in Bangkok, yeah. And it was good. It was, you know. Like that's experience. an experience where you paid money and you got the experience and it was worth it. Yeah, it was. I, I wouldn't do it again anytime soon, right? I, the, that's the thing. Of, like, I don't need to go back to a place like that for a couple of years now, right? Yeah. Uh, the lifestyle creep is, okay, I did that. And then now, like. <laughs> You're like, oh my God, you don't want to do that consistently, yeah. That's the way, that's the new standard of uh, having a good meal, right? Yeah, Michelin star only, please, in Bangkok. <laughs> um, People do it. What do you get the most of your joy, do you think? I don't know. I mean, it's a hard question, but like, yeah. like um, I, I tell you what it's not from. It's, it's not from having the latest iPhone, you know? Mm-hmm. not from you know i think a lot of the studies are it's about social connection it's about being a master of your craft relationships i mean matri amazing partner i mean you have friends who are amazing myself mm-hmm. obviously any of that makes sense yeah i think <laughs> any insights there i mean i'm so what i'm saying most people know if, you, if they didn't know i'm glad they're hearing it uh-huh any any insights? Any any uh, riffs off of that? I think I enjoy. I enjoy, you know, making progress on things. So you know, things, you know, having a you know, I enjoy working on something, whether it's like you know making progress on relationships or at work or, you know, things, working on things, making growth. Them, yeah. Make, yeah. Growth. And I, but also I, I like sort of living in the moment of small things of just enjoying like eating food or just hanging out and watching a good TV show. Right. Like spending time with just, friends. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's just, you know, losing yourself in something and just, just being fully immersed in it. I think that's fun. Right? Yeah. You've told me before, like I, when I told you like, Hey, let's meditate. You're like, I don't really meditate, but I have this keen ability to, <laughs> to go into a meditative yeah. state. You know, like that's what you're talking about. Sort of like being able to enjoy the present moment and like not care about anything. Yeah. Shut, shut off, shut off that uh, conversation inside your head. Yeah. And you're able to just do that. It's important. Uh, not, re- I mean, not all the time, but sure. 
I feel like I've gotten pretty good at just not thinking about anything or you know completely shutting off. Which How, when did you first start doing that? That's just the way that I am. Like from childhood. Yeah. And uh, but it's part of the the flip side is I I am not good at tracking ten ten things at a time, right? Sure, no one. You is. know, is your no. does your can your brother do that? I don't know. I, I don't. You never asked him. Yeah. I wonder if it's like a innate thing, or I mean, I guess mm-hmm. necessarily. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, talking to you brings me joy. Mm-hmm. Um. Hot tips. It's time for hot tips. It's our recurring segment called Hot Tips, brought to you by Data Pavel, brought to you by Pavelcast, brought to you by Andy Gross. Um, hot tips is a, is a way for you to share anything with the world. It could be, hey, make your own hummus because it's better than buying it at a store. It could be listen to this radio station. It could be you know learn this software program. Drink this beer, do this many push-ups. Any hot tip you want to, random hot tip. I feel like I need a quarantine-related hot tip. I mean, uh, that's not going to hurt us. Let's go with, uh, just bought myself a resistance band. Great Ooh. quarantine workout. Ooh, I've seen doing those. All kind, doing all kinds of stuff. I'm doing the... Like resistance, yeah, you can do like weight type of things, you know, you can swap out your, your weights with it. But you I can don't do, understand, what do you mean? Like you can do like arm curls with it or... Okay, like you put your foot on one of them yeah. and then... But you can also do like a squats or something like that with resistance against it, right? So you put them around your thighs and you squat. Yeah, you can kind of like put it around your waist and then, or like I've been doing... I've been working on my, my, my resistance workout regimen and that's, that's helped quite a bit. What's because resistance workout is an important part of like being healthy. No, it's a way to build muscle. It's a good space efficient workout. And so Uh, what, so I don't have, do you do it on YouTube? Where do you get the information? No, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just just doing it all. Yeah. So give me, rock me for a routine. Like what? Squats. Yeah, squat. I would do squats. I'll do. Uh, I've been doing a lot of like agility drills. You ever seen like the people that do like the ladders, those ladder type of things? Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? You looks mean like, like a, five, seven, five, six, like, seven, eight, nine, ten? No, you mean actual ladders? It looks like a rope ladder where okay. you like you do like fast feet kind of stuff. No, I've never seen that. Okay. Oh yeah. So you Look can use the band. Yeah. It's a, yeah, because it's like weight behind you. So if if I'm uh, if I'm doing something, it gets harder and harder towards the end because I got more resistance going. Right. What do you put it? Hmm? I what just like put? I just like anchor it to a door or something like that. Cool. So it's like pulling back on you, right? So yeah, I don't know. Half hour. What you... Yeah. A couple of minutes. Yeah. Uh, that's Let's a good see. one. Resistance bands. Uh, I'm sure you can find good workouts online. I wonder if you can still buy them on Amazon. Yeah, I got it at the store the other day. Let's see. Other hot tips. Let's, uh, I'll do a coding hot tip. Please. I'm a, uh, 
I'm a big fan of the Jupyter Notebooks, which I guess is old news these days, right? Yeah, but I think another vote of confidence for Jupiter, huh? Yeah, I'm a big Jupiter fan. Is that what you do? Everybody, everybody, like everybody who knows me knows at work and that kind of thing knows me as the guy who tries to force those things on everybody. So that, so I feel like requisite hot tip there. Well, and for people that don't know, Jupiter is a Python kind of like, I don't know, would you call it an IDE? But what's beautiful yeah. about it is it's like it's, it's intuitive and it's like in your web browser and you can like basically segment code out, run it, see the mm-hmm. output. Like it's very intuitive. And I always look at Jupyter as like a beginner's tool. But I think mm-hmm. hearing you say that, no, 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 it doesn't have to be a beginner's tool. It, it's actually good for, for expert use as well. It's good for expert use in a data science you've got some fresh data or you've got something that you're working on. Let's, let's do some exploration in there. Explore, right? It's good for exploratory analysis. I yeah. see. Cool. Well, you want to go trifecta? All right. Let me give you one more. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'll do the, uh, Saturday night Seder. Did you see that yesterday? No, I didn't see that. Is that SNL? Look, clip? No, look it up. It's a, it's a celebrity-led Seder service led by Jason Alexander, George wow. from Seinfeld. Uh, it was pretty good. You Wait, it was, uh, you could just watch it, the whole thing? Yeah, it's on, my, it's on YouTube. Did they it was do it live on Passover? Yeah. So everybody could yeah. just join from their house? Yeah, yesterday. On but it's it's pretty like well produced it's like a whole hour long thing it's got like it's got all the seder stuff it's got a lot of the seder stuff jews yeah it's pretty good awesome all right that's a good one as well if you got more give me one more because you you've 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 had some good stuff saved up here i'll i'll leave it i'll leave it at three i'll leave it all right next time man yeah i uh my Seder was not as successful, but we got it done. And I made matzo ball soup. Did you guys make any matzo ball soup? Yeah, we made matzo ball soup. Or, I mean, we made soup and we used store-bought matzo balls. But, or like the, Your matzo balls were already no, made the, for you? The box. Yeah, I made the box too. Yeah, I, mean, I made the box. The box is good. I mean, it's just, it's just matzo crumbled up with some flavorings. Yeah. Yeah, no, we made a good uh, veggie stock though. It was pretty good. What's a what's a good base base for a veggie stock? Uh, this was just what all kinds of random stuff. It was like most. It was a lot of veggie like scraps and stuff. You guys are all about. So we like... we roasted a bunch of we roasted a bunch of vegetables and then all the peels, all the scraps. So you know, you save them to for a stock. Yeah, you throw it all. Which is the first time we've done that, but it turned out pretty good, actually. Do you have a special way to, like, um, like a cheesecloth to get just to dr- strain it? You have a strainer? No, you just throw it all in there, and then you... Yeah, we just used a, no, yeah, like metal, a strainer. Metal strainer? Nothing yeah, special? Yeah, just fished it all out. How is your... Uh, have you been doing any more kombucha brining, you know, any more? I've been trying. I, I've been doing ginger beer. And it has not, it's been pretty bad the last couple. I did, I've done two in the last like month. Okay. Two rounds of it. How long does it take from zero to drinkable? A, a week. Couple weeks? Okay. No, yeah. 
But the first batch, I had one that was perfect, and then the rest that were pretty bad didn't really get carbonated. Second batch was almost total failure. So, <laughs> what's do you know what's I happening? I don't know what's happening. I, I gotta figure it out. I think I I was stingy on. I tried to make it less sugary, like less. I tried to, which is something you can do. It, it, it turns into like more like a vinegary type of thing. I see. Which I like, but uh, it didn't. It didn't take. Anything it needs sugar to. Yeah, I, I think I killed off my my communities in there, but uh, what is but what yeah. is it? Is it a bacteria that yeast? Yeah, it's yeast. Use? Is it you different would, than kombucha? It's not a scoby. No, it it is kind of, but it's it's a ginger. It's called a ginger bug. Okay. So you take ginger. You take a little jar like to start it. It's kind of like a sourdough starter. Okay. So you take ground up ginger, sugar, water, and you just feed it over a week. And so by the time, by the end of the week, you can hear it like bubbling. Okay. Like it's active, like it's like super, like it'll bubble and like fizz up. And basically it's whatever is already living on the ginger. Yeah, it's just the yeast from the ginger. Does everything produce yeast? Yeah. Am I producing yeast right now? Any kind of fruit will have yeast growing on it, right? That's just... Yeah, I mean, it's something I don't know. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Why? Just this how biology works? Yeah. Huh. Uh, but yeah, so then you uh, bottle it up and add, you, you make sweet tea, basically, and you just add a little bit of that to get it going, to get it started. But I probably just killed it off right away. Is that That's why it won't, like, carbonate. I see, I see. Can you but make yeah. that stuff highly alcoholic or... Not I mean, really. I think yeah, I think you can get like two or three percent, maybe. Uh, you can go higher, but you need you need like a champagne yeast. Well, and you need pretty good glassware so it doesn't explode. Oh, really? So, so you do more sugar, you're gonna get more carbonation. Okay. So you got a lot of pressure building up in there. I see. So, like, in the bottles I'm using, that's probably not a good idea. Is it you know more likely to just blow up on you? Fascinating. But yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm giving it another shot. I'm gonna get be a little more aggressive with it. Yeah, give it another shot, yeah. and uh, maybe do some more sauerkraut. That's uh, that's uh, something my family does well sauerkraut, but I haven't I haven't really gotten into it. I mean, maybe that's coming next. Yeah. I would like to get a farm in Montana and just uh, ferment my own veggies and be safe from the coronavirus. That could be a fun goal. Yeah. Our other recurring segment is called the teleportation transformation experience brought to you by Elon Musk. So Elon, good buddy of mine, don't ask me how, but he's letting me borrow his teleportation machine. And using the machine and using your memories, we're able to teleport somewhere else in the world. Um, I, I'd love to go somewhere fun. Like, what you got for me? I'm going with you. Yeah, you, we're gonna. It's a symbiotic thing. It's okay. I, you just gotta tell me. I gotta put the liquid in. You ready? Don't worry. It's gonna feel a little wonky. All right, we're ready to go here. Woo. All right, tell me where we're going. Where are we going? Uh, wait, anywhere. 
anywhere you've been so you can describe it. It uses your memories to teleport us there. In get place it? in space or time? If you're able to you're able to space and time. Space and time. Yeah, it's special. It's a special device. I don't know that. I don't know about that. Well, fine, uh, just in space, because I think okay, you where, just made where, it more hard for yourself for no yeah. reason. Where are we going? <laughs> yeah, buddy, where are we going? Let's see. Let's check out something cool. It's like, it's kind of like you know, like Scrooge. You were like Scrooge yeah. the movie. Are we are we in coronavirus s- situation or out of coronavirus situation? We're out. This, we're, we're out. out. Of it. Let's go. Uh, it's Passover. Let's go to Jerusalem. Yerushalayim Hamot. Um. A couple of things to mention on that. Well, well I'm going to put it in Jerusalem. J E. One second. Why did you say that the Passover Seder um, next year in Jerusalem? Because I want to stay in La Jolla. <laughs> so it feels very awkward for me to say next year in Jerusalem when I really just want to stay in San Diego. It's just what you do. Just know. what you do. Just what you do. That's what they. That's religion, folks. There's a reason they they cover that in the Saturday Night Seder, and now I forgot about it. I think it's because, I mean, you know, God will, Messiah comes, probably something yeah. along those lines, and it's only because we're all in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. L-E-M. <laughs> all right. I, I've never been, so this is exciting for me. Where are we? I don't know. We're in the market. What's that? Okay. Wow, this looks interesting. What are they selling here? All kinds of fruit and whatever. What's it called? The Jerusalem market? Yeah, it's the Shuk. The shook. Okay, the, okay. Wow, it's busy, loud. They got a good. All these smells it smells delicious. What should we buy? Falafel. Okay, what are you gonna put on that? Pickles. Tahini. Oh yeah. Hot sauce. <laughs> Have you, is is the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem? Yeah. What else is there that's interesting? I don't know. There's all. I mean, it's a city. There's all kinds of stuff here. Are there high rises? Yeah, it's a big city. But there's or, like no, no, no. Park. Sorry, Jerusalem. No, not as much. Tel Aviv is a big city. But Tel Aviv is like we got all the action. Jerusalem, yeah. but it's not far from Jerusalem. No, yeah, it's, there. It's like an hour away. It's not like. But Jerusalem has like all the history. Is, is yeah, it, is it sandy? No. Is it green? No. I don't think so. Not that I recall. There's a lot of people, a lot of uh, all sorts of people, huh? A lot of machine guns or guns on the streets here. Protection. Lots of, lots of guns. IDF. No, not a ton of, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I, I, this is all, I've never been, so you got to tell me. What am I saying here? You'll see the straight person with like a pretty badass machine gun but it's a, you got a lot of people with rifles and stuff it's not like too crazy you know feels yeah it's interesting probably a fun place to visit right now mm. well not right now no well, not during the coronavirus yeah. tell me something else about jerusalem what are you what are you, what's in your memory there i don't know oh maybe you shouldn't have gone there <laughs> It's Passover. That's what you. It's Passover. Boom. All right, we're back here. Well, maybe next year in Jerusalem. What, what, uh, what could be said and done? Um, are you keeping Passover? Are you eating matzah? Yeah, I mean, to uh, to a reasonable extent. I'm not even. 
Would you it's drink either, a beer? No, I haven't been drinking any beer, but just wine not, only. Yeah, it's not. We got wine. It's not. It's not the hardest thing to do in the world. I I am actually. I got my coffee, beer, and water right here. Wow, awesome! So, I mean, we learned a lot. We learned. Oh, I'm question for you before we sign off. I mean, this recovery that or this economic thing that's happening now. I know you can't predict it, but what do you think is going to happen? I mean, do you do you think we're going to come out of this quickly, slowly? Not at all. I think it's going to be slow. A, a slow recovery. It's going to be tough for the restaurants and all the like entertainment to get back on the track, right? Because I mean, you're not dying think, to go to a theater right now, are you? Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's not going to affect like tech, you know? Right. But, like, yeah, I, I don't know. When's the next time you're going to go to a movie theater, right? I don't, I'm afraid. I mean, when yeah, I have why the vaccine. Or the uh, and, you know, I think restaurants, some of them are doing better than others, right? But it's going to take some time. Well, I hope everyone stays safe out yeah. there. You know, if you're in a position to help out, support the restaurants. If you're, you know, mostly stay safe, stay healthy, we will recover. Yeah, it'll happen. This is going to take some time. Any questions for me, the data pile? No, I mean, uh, the, any reflections on your on your last day of? Uh, oh my God! Go ahead. Of, of your <laughs> sabbatical. Retirement slash sabbatical slash find myself time. Um, you know. I think it's going to be good for me to get out there and do productive things again. Um, I think it's really, I enjoyed, basically I took six months off, you know, and I've, and I've said it before, maybe probably even on this podcast. I mean, I've come in, I, I was kind of, I mean, I thought I was going to make this you know, contents, uh, something or write or make a product. And, you know, I wasn't able to do that. And, um, I think I'm just, I don't, I didn't have, I, I couldn't do it without the pressure um, on me. And so, you know, it became, oh, I'm just kind of trying to have just fun and relaxed time. I'm not ready to start working yet. And then, um, and then I got there. And so six months later, reflecting on now going back to work, and it's part time, but it's still, I think it's great. And I feel lucky that I'm able to do that right now. I think, Take chances. I have no regrets. Zero regrets. It was fun. Um, I think I learned some things about me. But the thing is, even if you have an insight about yourself, where I'm like, okay, I, I need to work out every day. And if I do, I'm happy. If I, if I take a walk at 7 p.m., I'm happy, right? You still have to do, like, you might have that insight and you feel good about that insight, but you still have to do the action. And so, like, I hope to, you know, I wrote a six month plan where getting into shape, you know, figuring out ways to make money, all these things. And what happens is if you don't revisit that on almost a daily, I think daily basis, if you don't make those, if you, you can easily let time slip away you could, without accomplishing the things that you want to accomplish that will make you happy. Because I think, you know, just sitting there doing nothing, it feels good for a day or two, but 
it's it's not sustainable for the long term. It doesn't make you happy. So for me, it's I learned. I reflect back and say, okay, I've learned some things. Now I want to make sure that I take those things with me in the future. You know, lottery ticket mentality. Oh, I'm going to make this startup and be super successful. I think that's a bad mentality. I think it's you know, building businesses from scratch is hard. I'm not saying I'm not going to do it. I'm going to try, of course, but I'm also much, much more sober on the idea of what you've always been doing, which is, you know, live without the lifestyle creep, save your money, and and earn your financial... Because I'm all about that financial independence. And I think it's, it's, if you want to earn financial independence... Don't get because startup making a startup is basically gambling. If your whole yeah. goal is financial independence, that's not the best way to get there. If your whole goal goes, I want to make a company because that's what I really want to do, fine, you know. And I am not. Sh- I'm not sure where I land on that. To be honest, I um, clearly I think if I had this, I must make a company thing. Something should have happened in the past six months that would have. Because I mean, I'm I have a couple of projects that I'm that I need to push out that I haven't done. So that's my insight. My insight is it's okay. Mm-hmm. Don't be hard on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, huh? Yeah. I mean, what do you have to say to me? Any advice? No, just get out there, keep both mind. The next Before- jobs. It, you know, every job's different. Try and make the most out of it. Like, oh yeah, and uh, try and ride the optimism of a new job as quickly as possible. As you know, as far as, as long you can. as possible. Yeah, hundred percent. Like when you start something new, it's just fun to just yeah. prove yourself. And I'm excited to do that next week. I mean, mm-hmm. I make some cool dashboards, engaging conversations. Yeah. Oh, what a joy to have you on the show, Andy. Andy Gross, um, he's available out there on the interwebs if you want to find him. Um, lots of good insights, especially for data scientists and genetic code and living through this pandemic. It's been a pleasure having you on. Great. Thanks, Paul.